Amen. Turn, if you would, as I'm getting set up here, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Just reflect a moment on what we just sung. Amen. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. That's the confession of somebody who's experienced new life in their soul. And that's the glory of Christmas, right? Like we, we set up a manger scene to announce to the world that God came down, took on flesh, lived among us a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried, and three days later he triumphed out of the grave. And that's gospel good news for any who've come in here broken and weary in their sin and are longing and desperately thirsty for new life. That's good news this Advent season. Let's come before the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are in this place, in this moment. Your spirit is among us. And yet you are present in every other church around the world. Lord, you're present in every sphere of the world. You are present in the midst of incredible turmoil in the Middle East. And you are present with us today at Smithfield, Kentucky. And you are faithful, Lord. And every time we get into your word, we long and we anticipate a movement of your spirit upon our hearts. And so I pray, Father, open up every one of our hearts, Lord. Fill this time with your spirit and your word. Open our eyes to see glory in Jesus. Open our hearts to receive the word that you have for us today. Minister to our souls the medicine we need. And Lord, whatever we have come in here feeling or experiencing or struggling with, Lord, I pray that we would receive a word that is great help, that is timely, that is transformative, that is hope-giving, that exalts Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would help me to get out of the way, that your spirit would speak, and that we would have ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. The whole point of John's gospel is to help us get a clear knowledge of who Jesus is and who we are. To give us knowledge of self and knowledge of Christ, which John aims would bring a knowledge of salvation into your life. Because you can't truly know yourself until you truly know Jesus. And you can't truly know Jesus till you come to terms with who you really are deep down in the core of your being. So John states in the back of his gospel, the purpose and the reason and the point of his gospel in John 20 and verse 30, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I take from that that John could have included so many other details. In fact, he says in another part of the gospel that if he were to have written down all the things that Jesus said and did, we could have filled up books that the earth could not contain all the things that could be written of Jesus. But these things he wrote to us, these things he included, these things he pronounced to us, to awaken us to a knowledge, a true knowledge of ourselves before God and a true knowledge of who Jesus is and that by coming to an awareness of those things, you might believe on the name of the Lord and be saved. That's the point. That's the heart of John. That's the purpose of his book. And so when we walk into John chapter 4, when we walk into this account of the woman at the well in Samaria, right? We're not walking into something that was just kind of like thrown together. John is including this for the benefit of giving you self-knowledge and knowledge of Christ. So he wants us to see in the woman at the well a picture of ourselves. And he wants us to see how Jesus approaches this woman in desperate need and in a desperate condition and begins to awaken in her and help her see just how thirsty she really is. So John's Gospels meant to make you thirst. To thirst for God. Sometimes we don't really realize how thirsty we are, right? Often we can be reminded going to sleep at night. We don't really realize that we're not hydrated well. And what happens? You sleep through half the night or maybe you make it to the morning and you get up and all of a sudden pain starts shooting through your calf, right? Pain starts shooting through and you think, oh, I'm going to work this thing out, right? And it starts getting into a bigger knot. And it's like somebody's taking pliers up in there, twisting you into a pretzel. And it's excruciating. And no amount of self-effort is going to untie the cramps going on in your leg. Because you are so thirsty and you're so needy of water that until you get a drink, you're not going to be released from that thing. Right? How many of us, right, have had that experience where we're like... <laughs> give me water, right? Probably crying out to your wife or your husband, well, give me some help. I need some water. And then you have that drink of water and you guzzle it down. Your thirst is quenched. Your muscles get released. It's like magical. You're like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know water could do that. And there's a sense in which you were not awakened to your thirst until you experienced pain. You weren't awakened to your need until your muscles started malfunctioning and you were coming aware to something's wrong. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with the woman at the well in Samaria. She's helping her see she's in pain. She's helping her see 
She's all twisted up and has spiritual cramps going on and she's not going to be able to get rid of them. No amount of husbands are going to be able to deal with the core of her heart. And she keeps trying and it's not working. And Jesus comes on the scene to help her see you need water, right? You need living water. And until you experience that deep thirst, until you wrestle in your soul with what you really truly need, until you see yourself rightly before God, you'll never reach out for water. And you'll always try to fix it yourself. So when we walk up to this woman, we're walking up to a mirror. Me like, hey, I've not been in adultery. I have not had five wives or five husbands or whatever it might be. Maybe you feel like, hey, I don't identify. But this woman is you. And by the end of the message, I hope to show you that this is all of us. It's a picture of all of us in our need. So look with me once again. And we're going to read from verse 6. Where Jesus is weary, thirsty, at the well, and he encounters this woman by divine appointment. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. We spent all last week unpacking that, right? Jesus is condescending to this woman coming to a Samaritan and Jews don't have any dealings with them, but he comes. And Jesus answers her in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And now Jesus is going to turn up the clarity on this woman's heart in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, <laughs> right? 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say to, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you, will, uh, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Knowledge of self and knowledge of Christ. That's what Jesus is showing her. He's revealing who she truly is and who we truly are and who He truly is. And what we actually need is contained in the identity of King Jesus. So the first thing that we want to see and we want to look at is Jesus reveals true knowledge of yourself. I mean, philosophers throughout the centuries have tried to understand the human condition, have tried to understand what's wrong with humanity. Why do we tend towards brokenness? Why do we make messes of our lives? Why are things like the stuff that goes on in the Middle East right now? Why are there wars? Why, there, why is there cruelty, terrorism, broken homes, addictions, struggles? Why is it that deep down sometimes we feel a nagging sense of loneliness? Perhaps despair. Perhaps emptiness. And Jesus is going to come to this woman and He's going to tell her exactly who she is. Jesus is going to show us something that none of the philosophers, none of the ethicists, none of the psychologists could truly expose. But Jesus is the Son of God. He can see into your heart. Look at it right here in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right in saying, I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So we're learning something about this woman and we're learning something about Jesus simultaneously. Because Jesus looks at this woman and she sees her or he sees him. <laughs> he sees her. Let's not get that confused, right? Jesus sees our hearts. Jesus sees the core of who you are. The thing that, that other people can't see, that Facebook and Instagram and all of those things where we kind of present this version of ourselves to the world and it's not the real thing, it's not who we are deep down. Jesus sees that. Jesus sees us as we truly are. 
And he knows her nature and he knows her history and nothing is hidden from him. And he says to the woman, he gives her a command, go get your husband and come here. Now, Jesus already knew she didn't have a husband. What's he doing asking her this question? He already knows she doesn't have a husband. He's going to tell her her whole life. But she's, he, he's drawing her out with this statement. And it's opening up all sorts of things in her soul. And perhaps Jesus has been speaking to you for quite some time. He's been opening things up in your heart. He's been opening things up in your soul. He's been disclosing to you through various things that have happened, events, things, emptiness maybe you're feeling. He's been drawing you. He knows you. He knows why we're here. He knows why we're in church. He knows if worship is in spirit and truth or if it's lip service. He knows if we go through the Christian thing with perfunctory worship or if we have a deep love for Jesus in our hearts. And his request to the woman is so straightforward, so clear. Go get your husband and come here. And all of a sudden, the gravity of what this woman has been avoiding the whole conversation with Jesus up until this point comes center stage. Does, does he know who I am? Does he know what I've been through? Am I going to have to share my past with him? Am I going to have to open up all the dirty laundry and let it just kind of the aroma come out? I don't want to do that. I have no husband. But in that very moment, she starts to thirst. She starts to thirst. I have no husband. And it's like that nagging sense of guilt begins to strike her heart. And Jesus says, you're quite, you're quite right. You don't have a husband, but you've had five husbands. Y'all, Jesus can't, you, you can't pull one over on Jesus, right? Sometimes we can use true statements to avoid the reality of our sin. We can say half truths to hide the whole truth about where we're really at. And Jesus is kind of like cutting through all that. It's like, yeah, you said you, it's true. You don't, you don't have a husband right now. You've had five and the one you're with is not your husband. You're living with a man in sexual immorality. You've been trying to find your identity in men. You've tr been trying to go to men to, to, to fix you. But it's not working. And she's having to wrestle with how much do I share with Jesus? And does he really see me? And ultimately today, I, I just want us to consider this. Jesus 
knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows this woman better than she knows herself. And He is coming to her not to condemn and judge her, but to bring salvation. Right? The aim of this book, the aim that John is after is bringing life to people. But you can't get saved if you don't know you need saving. You're not going to reach up for the water if you don't have a spiritual cramp going on and you start feeling the pain. And it may seem like, hey, I've been through a few nights. I don't really feel the cramp going on. And all of a sudden, it comes crushing you. And you start awakening to what you need. You start awakening to who Jesus is. You start awakening to the crisis you're in. And then Jesus is before her. I find it a great comfort to know that Jesus knows my whole history and He can deal with the real me. You don't want somebody to fix the Facebook version of you. You don't want somebody who can fix the Instagram version of you. You want somebody who knows you and can solve what's broken in your life. Who can make you whole. Who can make you new. Who can give you life. And there's no peace for this woman. She is so torn up. She's so empty. She's so abused that she's sitting by a well many miles away from anybody else so she does not get discovered. And she does not have to be this kind of scandalous woman that everybody knows about and is hush-hush whispering behind the scenes. But Jesus knows her and she could not hide who she was from Him. So here's my question for us today. I want you to think about this. When it comes to Jesus, are you hiding your life from Jesus? Or are you completely open with Jesus? Are you running from Jesus? Or are you receiving all that He is? Are you willing to bring the real you to Jesus? Are you trying to bring that sanitized, cleaned up version? I have no husband. Because Jesus can deal with the real you. He's a real Savior for real people with real problems and real sin and a real judgment that's coming. And God so loved us that He sent Jesus into the world. And listen, the way we answer that question, right? Are we going to bring the real you to Jesus or the fake version? Are we really honest with Jesus? Or are we lying deep down when it comes to Jesus, thinking we can hide from him? The way you answer that is the difference between somebody who's truly a Christian and somebody who's not. Because if you're in Christ, 
you want to bring your sin to the Lord because he can, he can deal with it. You want to bring the real you to the Lord because that's who he died for. Right? Jesus doesn't go to the cross for fake people who think they've got it all together. He goes to the cross for broken people who acknowledge their sin before him. So where are you today? Are you bringing the real you to church? Are you coming before the Lord in ways that you're just ready to expose your heart? Like you know that he, he already sees you. Right. It's like sometimes we come to the Lord in prayer and it's like it gets all King James Elizabethan and, and, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, proper and prim. And it's like, no, bring your brokenness, bring your sorrow, bring your pain, bring your struggle, bring your need. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who can handle those things. And so Jesus is drawing out this woman and her true self. She doesn't want to share all that stuff. Maybe you came in here today, you don't want to share any of that. Like, I don't want to share the real me. I would rather have paper mache stuff going on. Do not show the real me to anybody. But God sees the real you. John's been talking in these ways all through his gospel, right? If you remember chapter 3 and verse 19, he just says the same thing in different words. Jesus is speaking. He says, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So somebody running from Jesus is running from the light and is traveling in the dark because they don't want the real person. They don't want the real self to be exposed. They don't want true self-knowledge. They're going to do everything they can to avoid who they really are. And Jesus puts a spotlight on it. And that's why we're either uncomfortable before Jesus or we bow before Him as Lord and Savior. But verse 21 of chapter 3 goes on to say, whoever does what is true comes to the light. You've come to Christ so that it may be clearly seen that your works have been carried out in God. So when you come to the light, when you receive Jesus for who he is, when you've been redeemed, then you can actually be the most real person on the planet because you have been forgiven and renewed and your life is a testimony of the grace of God to transform somebody from darkness to light, from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from condemnation to salvation. Jesus is about resurrecting the dead. And this woman at the well, a raw nerve center has been opened up. And she can run towards Jesus or she can stay in the dark. So often we come to a decisive point in our lives 
there's crossroads that we're brought to, right? I'm going to take this job or that job. I'm going to marry this person or that person. And Jesus is bringing this woman to a place where there's nowhere else to run. Like Everything's been uncovered. It's all laid out. It's all out in the open. And it was always that way. Sometimes we're just like, we think we can hide from God, right? And we start shining up half-truths to kind of get them ready for God or get them ready for somebody who asks us about our sin, right? Now, this, this never happens in my house, and it never happens around Halloween where we'll have a bag of candy that's been collected, and all of a sudden I'll start seeing wrappers around the house. We got it in our room, you know. And then I'll go to ask individuals about whether or not they took something from this bag. No, I didn't take anything today. Did you see that? That's right. I didn't take anything today. I mean, technically. Beloved, we do that. We do that with God. Some of you right now are in the middle of gross immorality, serious addiction, serious struggle, and you are playing those kind of games with God. And Jesus is putting his finger on it. And he's saying, I can set you free. Are you done with the lies? You come, and I've got living water for you. Come out of the dark. I've got light for you. Jesus is totally different than anybody we've ever encountered. Because he's the one who knows who you truly are and what you're truly like. And he promises you hope of transformation. He promises you a new beginning. Perhaps you're in here today and you're making a mess of your life. Perhaps you're in here today and your marriage is falling apart. Perhaps you're in here today and you're feeling really hopeless because you haven't been truly honest with God about who you are and your need for Christ. Jesus is inviting you in. He's exposed the raw nerve center so that He can cauterize it with new life. Perhaps you're a Christian in here today and somehow, some way, you've gotten into this dance with the Lord where you all of a sudden have amnesia that He already knows who you are. And you're hiding. You're running. You've got a little bit of spirituality and you can feign worship, but something is deeply wrong because you do not experience the joy of salvation because you're so compromised in your life. You've got so much in the world in you that you can't be happy with God. And you've got too much of Christ in your life 
ultimately to be truly happy in the world. And so you're in this pickle. And Jesus comes to set us free. That's who He is. And He gets through all the dodges and He puts it square before us. What will we do with who we really are before this glorious King who sees it all? The Bible's full of honest portrayals of repentance. Perhaps none more clearly than the prodigal son. Right? Y'all know that story. The prodigal son is a young son. He wants his father's inheritance. He basically says, Dad, I hope you die and give me some inheritance. And the dad graciously gives him an inheritance. And he goes and he squanders it in riotous living. He goes in all sorts of sinful ways, blows his money on prostitutes, blows his money on wild living, ends up working for some farmer in a pig pen, covered with mud, looking at what the pigs are eating, saying, that's sure better than anything I've had lately. And all of a sudden, he comes to his senses. I love that. Like, he comes to his senses. You know what happens when a person gets real before God? They come to their senses. They come to their need. They come like this woman. Exposed. Luke 15 tells us what the prodigal does. But when he came to himself, or when he came to his senses, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have had more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of these hired servants. He's rehearsing repentance. Perhaps even in this moment, some of you need to do that. He goes on to his father's house. And his father sees him and runs to him and gives him a big hug and a kiss. And he says the same thing to his father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off mid-confession, laps him up, forgives him, puts his robe on him and his ring on him and says, slaughter a, fathered, slaughter a fatted calf for my son is home. He was lost, now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. And the prodigal son is made new. And we're meant to discover from that the same thing we're meant to discover from the woman at the well. Because before the story is over, she's going to discover that Jesus is no ordinary king. He's no ordinary Jew. He's no ordinary man. And she's already seeing that he has supernatural knowledge and that nobody could know these things about her except some kind of prophet, maybe even the Messiah. You see it right there, right? 
Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now that's kind of funny when you think about it. Because he just told her her whole life. He just laid her bare. I think you might be a prophet. <laughs> right? Then she goes on to tell him, like, do we worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem? And she begins to talk to him about the nature of true worship. And she begins to kind of put some spiritual cards out there like, hey, I know some things about religion. Right? We're going to get into that next week. But suffice it to say that this woman has been engaged by Jesus. Something different is about this Jesus. Something unique has been disclosed to her. And he's put his finger on her heart. And on her sin. And on what ensnares her soul. But perhaps we're thinking, you know, like she was kind of a mess. I'm not that messy, right? And maybe it's not all that real for us. But let me say this. Sexual sin is the number one sin that is ensnaring people in our world for the most part. And especially in the church. One out of two men are struggling or addicted to internet pornography. One out of six women are struggling or addicted to internet pornography. Yeah, I'm not like this woman, but perhaps your Netflix choices, perhaps your Hulu choices, perhaps the things you watch on TV if Jesus was sitting right next to you, you would get really uncomfortable. Perhaps what you dabble with on your phone, if your wife knew, if your parents knew, you would tremble. But Jesus knows. Jesus once said about lust and about the struggle with the reality of lust that it's like committing adultery in the heart. He said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's what this woman did. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus is warning with compassionate warning, saying, beware of the ensnare of sexual immorality in any form. And don't try to dress it up and make it seem like it's not that big of a deal. Because this is the sort of thing that you better gouge out your eye and you better cut off your hand to get rid of it. Because it'd be better to go into heaven without an eye or without a hand than to end up in hell. Because you were never honest with God. And you never truly repented 
of your sin. Jesus is telling people that it's not just physical adultery that's causing people to go to hell. Lust, sex outside of marriage, adultery in marriage, pornography, all are deadly to the soul. Why do I bring this up? Because it's in the text. This is her main thing. Jesus puts her thumb, his thumb on her real issue. She keeps going after men thinking it's going to fix her. And it's not. She's thirsty and she doesn't know it. And she's cramping now. And Jesus is on the scene. So Jesus knows who we truly are. And He reveals to us knowledge of self. We're sinners in need of redemption. Point number two, and this will go quicker. Jesus reveals to us knowledge of Himself. Do you see that in verse 19? She already gets wind that He's a prophet of some kind because of His supernatural knowledge. Verse 25 The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, he, when he comes, he will tell us all things. He just told her all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now in the Greek, it actually just says, I am. I know Messiah's coming. He's coming and He's going to tell us everything. The Christ is going to come. That's what she's saying. A Savior's going to come. I know it's going to happen sometime. What does Jesus say to her? But I am. Now, those of us who are familiar with our Old Testament would know the first five books of the Old Testament are called the Law of Moses. And Jesus revealed Himself to Moses. Well, ultimately, God revealed Himself to Moses in a burning bush. And Jesus is saying the same name that God used when Moses said, Who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? I am who I am. You tell him, I am sent me. You tell him, I am. I'm the one who's going to throw ten plagues on him. I'm the one who's going to deliver you through the Red Sea. I'm the one who's going to save my people from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And Jesus, without hesitation, tells this woman who only believes in the first five books of the Old Testament. I am is here. That's who I am. The search has ended because Messiah has come. And we know this woman takes this in because verse 28 and 29 of this chapter tell us 
that the woman left her jar and went into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she began to testify of who he was. She began to testify that he told her all that she ever did. And not only that, but she heard Jesus declare his identity. This woman of Samaria, this unlikely candidate, Jesus doesn't first reveal himself as Messiah to the Jews in the Gospel of John. The first person who gets to hear about the salvation that he provides as Messiah is this woman. Because he's not just a savior of the Jews. Salvation comes from the Jews, but he's a savior of the world. That means Samaritans could get saved. And there's going to be a revival among the Samaritans that we'll talk about in a few weeks. This Jesus can provide life to you. And so many of us are settling for a half-baked spirituality that does not get honest with Jesus and does not come to Jesus on His terms. When I am comes, you bow your knee and you lift up your heart in true confession. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. It was... That great author of Amazing Grace who said, there's two things that we need to learn in order to understand Christianity. One, I'm a great sinner. And two, Jesus is a great Savior. You got to have knowledge of yourself and knowledge of Christ. Perhaps you've come in today and you're not right with the Lord. And He loves you. He's been drawing you out. He's been speaking to you the way He speaks to this woman at the well. And He provides hope. He provides peace. He provides forgiveness. And when you truly get honest before God, when you truly come to your senses and you awaken to your spiritual need, Jesus is the only one who can quench that thirst. Maybe this moment you're feeling the spiritual cramp. That's good news. That means you can go to Him. And He says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this well water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. You know what it means to come to Jesus? It means to trust him to save you from your true self, from your true brokenness, from your true separation from God. Only Jesus provides a way to know God and to know yourself.
and then to bring you to a place where he overcomes your sin, your past history, and he cleanses it because he died on a cross to pay for your sins. He rose out of the grave to give you life. If you're a Christian in here, you're just rejoicing, hearing about it again. And if you're not, come to the Lord and watch him transform your life. Amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we are helped by this account of this woman at the well. Lord, we're awakened to our spiritual thirst. We're awakened to our spiritual need. We're awakened to the provision that Jesus makes in his own person. That Jesus is the one who came from heaven to earth, took on true humanity to die on a cross to save us from our sins. Father, perhaps there's some in here today who want to come to you now. They feel drawn. They feel a sense of their sin. They feel like they're like the prodigal awakening to their need and really needing to get honest. Perhaps they're addicted to sexual sin. Perhaps they're addicted to some other idol. And they need to get honest with you. Father, I pray for them that you would give them a heart, Lord, to come down and really bring their heart before you and watch you transform their life. Lord, we pray that your blessing and your spirit would fall on us now as we worship, that this would be a time of confession, repentance, and seeking after Jesus. Whether we are backslidden Christians, joyful Christians celebrating salvation, or we are needing to come to the waters of life for the first time and drink freely. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.